0: Welcome to this edition of the Aquila Report in Weekly Review, the Aquila Report podcast that um, deals with the top 10 articles that the readers of the Aquila Report, as they're reading articles on the Aquila Report, uh, clicked on and read. And we keep track of those, and that's how we arrive at our top 10 articles. And trust that maybe you are one of those that uh, clicked on things and you are caused the uh, clicker to uh, add up your your interest so uh, it gives us opportunity on monday so today is monday october uh, 24 uh, 2022 and tomorrow on the 25th the weekly newsletter of the equal report goes out and has all of these 10 articles uh, listed in uh, hyperlinked form so that you can just click on them and read through them uh, quickly if you haven't already done so and so we do know that there are readers that don't come every day to the Aquila report.com. Uh, but uh, so once a week, they get at least a touch in the flavor of the top 10. So we're so glad that the equal report and weekly review can provide this for you. Uh, and it's maybe that you're listening to this uh, after uh, this podcast, after the newsletter has come out. Uh, so you can interact uh, as well and uh, think through your opinions as you, formally share these, um, this list with others, with friends, with Bible study leaders, and so forth. So uh, Paul Harrell and I, Dominic Aquila, come before you each week on this, and so Paul, we're yes, uh, sir. ready to begin. So I trust everything is well with you. You have a good week.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I had a great week, uh, yes. especially when I saw that article the, that was posted. <laughs> that's the number one article, but it was only posted on Friday, and it Became the number one article, and we'll yes. get to that it, here in a minute. I don't want to spoil it, so you want okay. me to start at number 10?
0: Yes, why don't you start at number 10 and then uh, through 6, and I'll do 5 through 1, and then we'll start our All discussion. right, number,
1: number 10 from last week, Joe Gibbons writes, Baptism Rightly Administered. Number 9, we have uh, Helen Louise Herndon back on the top 10. Uh, she writes, Lay Elders, an important book for you as defenders of truth. Coming in at number 8, we have Bob Weitzel. What is the great barrier to church growth and why has it fallen? Number seven, a whole new world, written by Bethel McGrew, and number six, why Bros? Now that's referring to the movie. Why Bros failed at the box office by Carl R. Truman.
0: Okay, well number five, uh, the Bible Presbyterian Church's 2022 Synod Report uh, comes in uh, by Lawrence Pine, uh, Leonard Pine. Uh, number Uh, Four, uh, two final pleas as the PCA presbyteries vote on the proposed PCO amendments by Larry Ball. Uh, Number uh, three uh, is the, you know, I get stuck here. One pastor's thoughts on this year's overtures referring, and that's by Joe Chrisman, uh, referring to the amendments that are before the Presbyterian Church in America presbyteries. Uh, Number two. Tennessee Valley Presbytery, which is part of the PCA, requests Missouri Presbytery to investigate Memorial PCA session, and that's in St. Louis. And that is uh, written that is uh, written by staff, but the it's a report of the Tennessee Valley action. And then number one, which Paul had referenced here, uh, Memorial Presbyterian Church, which is in St. Louis, session calls congregation meeting. Uh, this is written by the letter. It's a letter calling the congregation to a meeting at uh, the, the more Memorial Presbyterian Church, so the session itself wrote. So this is just a letter uh, recounting some of its history in the context of all the things that have happened. And for those of you who are regular listeners or, and or readers of the Okula Report, you know the general history that uh, with July of 2018, there was the first Revoice conference, which was dealing with what has become now known as a side B or promoting a side B um, view of homosexuality, uh, which is that someone will be faithful uh, to stay celibate. They will. They believe that uh, marriage and is a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman and that sexual relations are within the context of that covenant relationship. And uh, so they uh, just accept that reality, but they have very strong same-sex attraction. And that's a side, a side B. And so the, the attempt was that um, through revoice that they would show um, how mainstream the side B position was in the life of the church at large and especially within the uh, Christian church in America. And so that began uh, this four, plus, four year, plus year journey now since uh, July of 22 would have been four years. And now we're into the fifth year. Uh, dealing with what took place there because the original Revoice Conference was held on the campus of the Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis. Uh, there was a lot of uh, pushback from the church in the PCA. And so the following four uh, three years, they, they've held uh, again and recently in Dallas, uh, most recently, just uh, not too long ago, that they, uh, they no longer are meeting on the Memorial Uh, Christian church site. Uh, But nonetheless, the the battle uh, back and forth as to what Revoice was meaning and what it was introducing into the life of the church uh, was created a great deal of of controversy, uh, which led to the General Assembly the following year in 2019, uh, uh, approving and appointing a study committee on biblical human sexuality which came out in 2020, but the General Assembly didn't meet that year because that was the great COVID year. And so it was actually presented at the 2021 General Assembly above the PCA and was well received. Now, in the PCA, they don't adopt reports, they receive them. But uh, from both sides of the aisle, it seemed like they were, uh, that it had been well accepted, a very excellent report that you can still read, I think you'll find it very uh, helpful and edifying. But through all this, the Memorial Presbyterian Church and its pastor, Greg Johnson, were still uh, the focus of attention because of how they were promoting and what they were saying. And um, it got to the point where in this uh, letter, the session of the Memorial Church uh, now is calling for a congregation meeting for November 18th of this year, uh, to uh, with a recommendation that congregation uh, vote to withdraw from the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, won't go into all the details about how that happens, but in the PCA, just speaking very generally, then uh, local churches can withdraw with all their property and assets. They belong; it belongs to them, and no higher court can make any designs on anything uh, of that order so the church itself can vote you have to have a 30-day notice so this date of this letter is october 18 the uh, meeting will be held november 18th so it fits into that 30-day window Yeah,
1: a, a friday at 5 30 yes <laughs> i mean well, who's gonna it, be able to make that
0: well hopefully if it's uh that's a good point well uh, my thinking is that uh, you have a 30-day notice so make arrangements uh Accordingly, maybe we'll bring in a um, sack lunch or, uh, or dinner. So the, the point is, is that in this letter, which, as Paul indicated, has gone using the Internet language, has gone viral as people have had high interest in the church, not only within the PCA, but other uh, churches uh, to read what the session itself had to say with regard to the uh, what they've been going through for the last four years and to reach the conclusion that it was time for the congregation to um, move on. Now, they don't have any recommendation in terms of their new affiliation. Uh, It's just saying that we can withdraw. And of course, they can withdraw to be an independent church for a while as they look around for what else uh, where they could light if they want to continue being a part of a uh, denomination. So uh, the letter is very clear uh, from the session's point of view, uh, puts a lot of focus on the fact that, um, you know, Greg Johnson was was the center of attention with regard to uh, what happened with Revoice and the things he was saying. Uh, the, but the session also came in, and we'll see this with uh, the number two article in just a moment, uh, with some concerns because of how they allowed uh, a building – Uh, called the chapel on their property to be used um, in what turns out to be promoting uh, the homosexual lifestyle. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So anyway, this, um, you know, you know, brings the issue at least up to this point dealing with what was the, at least the cause or the, the the fuse that was lit that created uh, issues in the PCA Bring it to to light. And uh, so if you haven't read the letter, it will be number one article for you to look at uh, tomorrow when the newsletter comes out.
1: Um, Yeah, just a few high points here. Uh, Their justification, the the session of Memorial, their justification for why they want to leave the PCA, uh, are are other potential judicial cases, other possible, this is a quote from the letter, other possible cases against our pastors are also developing. The flow of these baseless judicial attacks is unlikely to slow down. We are being deliberately targeted to protect our pastors and keep our presbytery uh, from having to do multiple formal investigations uh, of baseless accusations. We therefore think it is wise to take this step uh, in realignment sooner rather than later. Um and so, yeah, and that this has to do with uh, their chapel ministry. And yet another most recent one of the requests that Pastor Sam Dolby and Keith Robinson also be investigated alongside Greg concerning their Christian character due to their support of our chapel ministry to the artists. Now, you'll say you said Dominic, we'll get to that uh, here in a little bit uh, in the next in the next article. But before we do that, I would just like to. Uh, you know, talk about you know this has all been going on since twenty eighteen. This is the church that really started this entire debate. Many people in the PCA had never even heard of what Side B was. More people now know than ever because of the actions of uh, Memorial Church there uh, inside, you know, Missouri Presbytery. And so this is a, I mean, and I've, I've just been talking with, with you know, I'm sure like you, a ton of people. Um, there's the, the idea of this happening in, in many ways. People are breathing a sigh of relief that this would happen. However, um, I, and I mentioned, you know, Friday at 530. And, yeah, you have a month to do it uh, to, to clear your schedule. But I just I just kind of wonder here what the congregation thinks versus what the session thinks. And the reason is is because, uh, and I know I'm stereotyping here, but I, I, I certainly know that in our culture today, those people who um, are LGBT or sympathize with LGBT are not used to defeat. They're not used to uh, cultural um, diminishment. They're used to winning. And the idea of leaving the PCA, in some of these people's minds, may very well be uh, you know, a defeat, and you don't see that anywhere today. And so there, there may not be, there, there may be uh, a willingness for some of these people in the congregation, the people that want to stay and change the denomination. I, I think, you know, they can justify it however they want, that they're, 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 they're leaving because of, of, of coming investigations against them. Uh, that should really put it to rest. I mean, if there's anybody on the fence in the PCA, uh, you know, that, that you're going to be afraid of investigations, so you're going to leave. If you didn't do anything wrong, why would you flee? And, uh, so this should really put the whole issue to bed about, uh, what we've been, f- uh, uh, battling with what we've been fighting, uh, you know, for, for the purity and, and yeah, there it's, you know, the peace has been, uh, uh you know, disturbed and there's been people wanting the, you know, it's purity. And so, you know, those are my thoughts on okay. all of this.
0: Well, and, and that's, uh, that's a good way of uh, putting it, that there is that frustration. And I think, you know, the, uh, that the session, a memorial session, plus the uh, Missouri Presbytery of which they are part, have been inundated over these four years with uh, various requests, resolutions from um, individuals, uh, from sessions, from presbyteries, asking them to investigate one thing or the other, uh, which the second article will be dealing with is one example. And, um, and so it wasn't going to be, it wasn't something going away. But the fact is that the moral session sees that basically as almost in a putting themselves in a persecution uh, mode. And so uh, basically enough persecutions enough. And so we'll go on. But uh, from the other side, I think that you would hear others say that, uh, that the PCA isn't a side B church and it didn't want to become a side B church, no matter what was being promoted or how it was being promoted. And so it wasn't going to uh, to come. Uh, and we know that there are certain articles that we'll also deal with, again, that deal with amendments to the book of church order uh, to, in fact, uh, enshrine those truths in, um, in confessional matters in the uh, constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. So it's an uh, interesting letter. We'll I'll wait and see what happens with the congregation and its vote. By the way, there is reference here. This is this letter that's printed here is the third of three, and they and say that there is a fourth letter that's coming. So uh, the first two are hyperlinked in uh, the uh, in this article, so that you can read them uh, as to when they were went out and sort of giving the uh, session giving the congregation updates. And it says in this letter we have described that is referring to this present letter what we believe we, that we believe we must move away from to protect our mission. In a fourth letter, we hope soon to offer a clearer picture of what we hope to move forward. And we are still discerning that matter and are excited with the possibility, uh, possibilities. Jesus loves memorial and we are confident that he will persevere, preserve us rather, in our mission as he pours his love and spirit upon us. So there's a fourth letter that will come that will it probably explain a little bit more and give the congregation some aspect or direction for the future of their ministry outside of the PCA. Well, we've mentioned and that the number of requests, uh, overtures, uh, letters, emails, so forth, have sort of inundated the both the Missouri Presbytery as well as Memorial Session. And they are the official courts in each case, the session for the church and the Presbytery for all the churches in that Missouri Presbytery, including Memorial. And they are under the general authority of the Presbytery. So this one, number, article number two, is Tennessee Valley Presbytery, which includes, it runs up and down the I-75 corridor from just north uh, Georgia through Chattanooga up to Knoxville uh requests Missouri Presbytery to investigate Memorial PCA session. Now there is a provision in the Book of Church order where a higher court, in this case the uh the Presbytery having oversight of the sessions made up of uh, the you know the grassroots that's the where the uh the local churches uh can be investigated as if they were an individual. So it's not investigating the individual members of the session, but the session as whole, with reference to any actions that they may have taken corporately. So that's what this is requesting. And uh, so at the October 18 uh, stated meeting, Tennessee Valley approved an overture from the session uh, of of the First Presbyterian Church in Oglethorpe, Georgia, requesting that Missouri Presbyterian investigate the session of Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri. The overture-based The request on what we call BCO 40-5, which is a chapter on uh, the overview oversight of higher courts with lower courts, uh, where a higher court can be asked to investigate a lower court if credible reports have been made. So, the basically the overture alleges that the St. Louis Magazine reported Memorial Presbyterian Church hosted an event in the chapel. Uh, they now call it the Chapel or Sanctuary for the Arts, which is on the campus of the Memorial Presbyterian Church. It is a building that has is not needed for the church's general activities, and so they um, uh, allow it to be used for uh, the arts and other matters like that. So sometimes called the Sanctuary for the Arts. Anyway, that that the um, Memorial Presbyterian Church hosted an event. In this building, which is on the property on September 2, 2022, entitled Celestial Bodies. It further claims that the poster for this event featured a scandalous depictions of people and that one of the headliners for the event calls himself El Draco. And Paul, do you remember what that means?
1: Yeah, I mean, it means the dragon. I I mean, they're they're (laughs) I don't know, man. Uh, That's it, crazy, the, uh, the the synonyms that come to mind.
0: Yes. Uh, well, okay. So here's the one headliners for this event who calls himself El Draco, has performed as a transvestite, and boasts of headlining at the St. Louis, uh, Char- St. Charles Pride Festival, the parade that they have on an annual basis. The overture also highlighted that Missouri Presbytery had previously adopted certain actions to redress and remove previous scandal associated with the chapel, uh, which is uh, on the Memorial PCA property site. So in this resolution, there are a number of whereas statements, whereas this happened and this has happened, or this was proposed and that was happened and so forth. Uh, they're, so they're placed, you know, one, one thought after another, whereas this, whereas this, whereas this, therefore. And So the um, the adopted the following to be sent that Tennessee Valley Presbytery requests Missouri Presbytery in accordance with BCO 40-5 to investigate the session of Memorial Presbyterian Church in Saint Louis, Missouri, to determine whether hosting the event reported to have taken place on September 2, 2022, violated the vows of the elders of Missouri of Memorial Presbyterian Church or otherwise reflects grossly unconstitutional or delinquent action by promoting uncleanness, a failure to keep chaste company, failure to preserve the chaste chastity of others, and the failure to shun all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. All those phrases there, of chaste company, failure to preserve uh, the chastity of others and so forth are come out of the larger catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism, in question, dealing with uh, what is forbidden in the seventh commandment, which is commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And so that, those are words, uh, phrases that come out of that section. So uh, it uh, goes on then to, you can read the whole uh, overture and in, in the, the where is are in this article uh, that brings it. Um, you know about so what I read to you was the therefore the resolution that the presbytery takes it up its responsibility of uh, judging or evaluating investigating whether or not these allegations that are purported in this uh, overture to them is uh, has validity and so that was approved um, and sent to Missouri Presbytery. Now, obviously, we just said that in the first article that they're believing they're going to withdraw. So, memorial I mean, uh, the Missouri Presbytery will could begin the process, but they if the memorial pressed, uh, congregation should vote to withdraw, then then it, the reference would become uh, moot at that point.
1: Yeah, this is incredible. I mean, these two articles. You know, they paint such a picture about what is actually going on here. Um, In the first article, we mentioned that they, you know, they they explained to the congregation, look, we're going to be under investigation for our support of the ministry, of the chapel, quote, ministry. And we really need to say this, quote, ministry, end quote, because when you read part of this overture, Celestial Bodies is a uniquely bombastic concert event presented by the chapel sanctuary for the arts, sanctuary for the arts. Hosted by El Draco plus Free Nation, enjoy two complimentary beverages provided by the house whilst grooving and moving to jamming performances from our amazing music acts. Uh, Dream Pop slash Alt Soul Diva L. Patterson uh, and her er, her eclectic band. The focus will bring thought-provoking vibes and undulating grooves that will set the atmosphere. Brother Francis will be testifying functastically soulful noise with his ensemble, the soul tones, that will bring you to your knees. El El Draco, again, the dragon, plus Free Nation will tear the roof off the building with their usual high-octane musical madness. The evening will culminate in a euphoric dance party led by the party monster DJ Rico Steez. Beloved, come revel in sonic splendor. With the sounds of some of STL's St. Louis finest artists, come clad in celestial whites, silvers, and golds draped across your person so we may experience unity across the census and party the night away. End quote. Uh, this is un- un- unbelievable. For, for, anybody, for anybody who thought who, – who was on the fence – and thought what was happening to Greg Johnson, or what was you know the focus that was put on Memorial Church was somehow unfair. I mean, you know, we only I mean, in terms of like what they're what they're supporting. Well, we just want. You know, we just want somebody who's celibate but also gay to to be able to be a pastor. That's all we're asking for. And now it's, well, we want that, plus we want to have our, quote, chapel ministry where we serve drinks and we invite people who, you know, do transvestite acts and and where we basically just imitate a worldly club, but we do it inside uh, the context of calling it a ministry. So we're calling essentially something that is worldly good. Um, That's all we want this time. I mean— You know, here we are, you know, 24 minutes in and you talk about a slippery slope where where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay, we now are advocating for things that are and, you know, we don't I don't want to hear about cultural context or being being winsome. This is this is uh, this is this is a stark choice. This is a black and white right wrong situation and. When you read this stuff, the Missouri Presbytery is right to to have launched this investigation. And again, they launched the investigation, and we also have the the session saying we're going to leave the PCA.
0: Exactly, and uh, so th- that's the nature of the thing. And just when you read that, uh, the word revel uh, stands out so much because that's a word that's used in scripture in a not a very positive kind of way. Uh, it's it, the the people of Israel reveled at the you know the sight of the Uh, golden calf and so forth. So, you know, it just, uh, it it was not promoting what we would consider to be uh, the confessional nature of the Presbyterian Church in America and its testimony in the world. So that was number two. So you can read that when it comes out tomorrow or it's up in the Quill Report now and you can uh, go to it. Well, number three is one pastor's thoughts on this year's overtures. Again, the overtures in the Presbyterian Church in America by Joe Chrisman. And um, he takes their 12 uh, overtures that uh, before the presbyteries that were approved, adopted by the General Assembly. He just highlights four of them because they're the ones that he sees as probably most um, problematic or uh, areas of concern. And so he deals with uh, all but one that, uh, that we've already spoken about in other um, weekly podcasts. Uh, So number one was dealing with Overture 29, which there are 12, like I said, uh, overtures that are being voted on. And so they're they're listed by item number, so item one through 12. Uh, So item four is Overture 29, which talks about adding a clause to 16.4, adding a new paragraph to chapter 16, Uh, that regards qualifications for church office. Uh, Just let me read it quickly here. It says uh, officers in the Presbyterian Church of America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. While office bearers will will see spiritual perfection only in glory, they will continue in this life to confess and to mortify remaining sins in light of God's work of progressive sanctification. Therefore, to be qualified for office... Uh, They must affirm the sinfulness of fallen desires, the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, and be committed to the pursuit of spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions. So that is now before the presbyteries, and so far it is uh, receiving overwhelming uh, support. The second one deals with chapter 30, uh, Oates Overture 21, which uh, takes the concepts from the one I just read from uh, 29 to amend BCO 21.4 and 241. So they just reverse the numbers, uh, dealing basically with um, requirements for ordination of ministers, which is chapter 21, and for elders and deacons, which is chapter 24. And so it deals with almost the same... Uh, issues that we uh, I just read from uh, chapter uh, 16, item uh, number one, uh, well, item four. So similar to over to 2931, as I said, uh, was a redo of last year's over to 37, and uh, which didn't pass, but this one sort of cleaned it up. And anyway, it seems also right now to be heading towards um, a support in the presbyteries. Item 7 is one that we haven't spoken about before, and it's a little bit more uh, sort of insider baseball, as we might say, deals with amending BCO 33, 1, and 34, which says if a lower court does not handle a matter well with reference to a a member and or an officer, whether at the session level or the presbytery level, then that uh, certain number of presbyteries uh, sessions or press injuries, depending on 33 or 34, can request the higher court to assume original jurisdiction, which means that they can take the case over and conduct it uh, as it belonged to them. And uh, so Joe Christman here is arguing in favor of it. There are a number of others who have written articles, and we've had some on the Equal Report who have taken the opposite position on overture 8 and arguing against it. In fact, we'll see that in just a moment with another article. Uh, then the last one he deals with is item one, which is Overture 15, that will amend BCO 7 with the words, men who describe themselves as homosexual or even those who describe themselves as homosexual and claim to practice celibacy by refraining from homosexual conduct are disqualified from holding office in the Presbyterian Church in America. And that this is that what is shorthand called Overture 15. That's how it came to the General Assembly. And so this would amend the Book of Church order at Chapter seven. And, and so, again, how,
1: how again, my question, yeah. how how does somebody say they're not for that? And, and how yeah. does somebody explain Oh, I was against the grouping of those words in that order uh, is 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 incredible to me.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's the reason why it's uh, probably getting the most attention of all the 12 items on the list of uh, that's sort of the one that's being focused on, because it's very simple. It's talking about qualifications for office, for ordination. It's not talking about for church membership. It's talking about who who, uh, is qualified and uh, meets the standard of above reproach, is the point that uh, both Christman and others have taken with regard to that. And like I said, in the subsequent article, uh, in fact, the next article will actually uh, bring that up. And so Christman urges Uh, presbyteries as they vote to approve um, all four of these, but especially uh, uh, this last one that would amend the uh, BCO7. So let's move then to this, and then we can chat about it. Uh, From Larry Ball, two final pleas as PCA presbyteries vote on the proposed BCO amendments. And so uh, here uh larry ball says the two amendments that he's talking about that he hopes there will be a final plea from him is going back to the same one we just talked about overture 15 which would amend bco 7 about what qualifies man or disqualifies him with regard to how he describes himself and number two deals with that overture eight that we just spoke about with regard to amending bco 33 and 34 uh, about a higher court assuming original jurisdiction, so he is for voting and urges presters to vote for uh, the amendment to amend BCO 74 uh, and vote against number two. Uh, this the second place vote against trade because he sees it as not really being helpful, and it's better to keep what we have now than to go in this direction. So. Uh, there you have one favor, one against, because it's really a in, like I said, insider baseball kind of thing, but very important in terms of how our court systems within the PCA, the session, presbytery, and general assembly function. So, Paul, what you're thinking?
1: Well, on the on both of the articles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Well, yeah. So back to the 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 one uh, previous. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. He quotes after he gets into. Overture 15, uh, he says that Martin Luther famously attributed, uh, was attributed with this saying, quote, though we be active in the battle, if we are not fighting where the battle is hottest, we are traitors to the cause. Uh, and then he writes in our current cultural movement, the battle over sexuality and gender is where the fight is hottest. And I think no one could dispute that. I don't, I don't see anybody that would dispute that reality. And the second in this uh, article by Larry Ball, two final pleas as PCA presbyteries vote on the proposed BCO amendment. He he references one of the arguments, uh, one argument against voting for Overture 15 regarding self-described homosexuals being qualified to be ordained as officers in the PCA has come to my attention, and it's over the use of the word claim. Men who describe themselves as homosexual, even those who describe themselves as homosexual and claim to practice celibacy by refraining from homosexual conduct are disqualified from holding office in the Presbyterian Church in America. Now, so why would that make anybody upset, the word claim? Well... The way the argument's going, the word claim implies uh, that there is a possibility that the man describing himself as a homosexual is not telling the truth, and therefore this is an unfair judgment, meaning not telling the truth that he is celibate, okay? And he he points out that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary lists two main definitions for the word claim, one, to assent on the face of possible contradiction, or two, to take as rightful owner – and he says, you know, that you really shouldn't uh, – we, we really shouldn't take that word claim to mean that uh, they, they might be uh, telling uh, a lie. I have no reason with either definition of the word claim, whichever one you want to use, because we are all sinners and we can be deceitful and we're capable of all kinds of wickedness, including lying. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean I don't understand why it's offensive to – and we're talking about for ordained office – to assume that someone who is saying that they're, uh, you know, homosexual, but they don't want to act on it may not be telling the truth. I, I don't I don't see where the offense is in any of that, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, and I think the issue uh, that people are, uh, that I would probably add that, uh, were put to focus more on the fact that we don't that those are against the wording of Overture uh, 15. It really is just that it's focusing on homosexuality. And that's what we're concerned about. But you, you pointed out the quote that uh, Christman gives from Martin Luther about dealing with the matter. Uh, the the active battle is where what is present now, and this is where we are culturally, and this is where the debate is in culture, which has spilled over into the life of the church. And so the church, then, we believe that what is there has already handles the matter terms of purity, if you look at the confession of faith and the catechism questions dealing with the commandments of God and so forth, but sometimes you need to be explicit uh, because of the nature of the debate that people try and, you know, with weasel around things, and uh, so just sometimes saying uh, this is where the battle is, so let's address it in terms of one way that we see the application to uh, to the, what the scripture, what our confession already says, so uh, there you have two uh, pastors speaking to uh, pro and con. On most most of the uh, think the overtures that are before the assembly because this is where the the matter is before the Presbyterian Church in America. Well, number five takes us into another denomination. This is the Bible Presbyterian Church. Uh, Leonard Pine is one of the pastors within that denomination, and uh, say uh, they have their synod meeting normally meet in August, at least in the last few years, and so he just provided this brief overview um, in it, and you can see that the Bible Presbyterian Church, by the way, it has its history going back to 1936 uh, when uh, J. Gresham Machen withdrew, uh, actually was kicked out of the the old Presbyterian Church in the USA, uh, that that was the founding of the, um, what, became known as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and still is, Uh, and out of that there, unfortunately, was a year or two later, a division within that group, uh, so that you had the Bible Presbyterian, the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the Bible Presbyterian Church formed out of that, and uh, so this is the continuation of going all the way back to those events that was part of what church history defines as the um fundamentalist modernist controversy, the debate between liberals and conservatives, and it was really focused on the authority of scripture a great deal anyway, the Bible questions still continue, and uh they also making their profession so Leonard uh, pine really helps us with just giving us a brief overview of some of the things they did. One of the things that we pull quote is the general idea. Identity Study Committee presented a written report to the delegates, the historical position of the Bible Presbyterian Church General Synod on gender identity and moved to amend the final sentence of the form of government to read, uh, quote, The Bible Presbyterian Church believes that marriage is limited to a covenant relationship between one biological man and one biological woman, uh, that gender is biologically determined, and that there are only two human genders, male and female we deny that gender is fluid and uh fluid self expression uh, this he says this amendment would passed unanimously and was referred to days for approval so what i find interesting here is i just having said that uh the the, the each generation of the church has to look at what is happening in culture how it's affecting the life of the church and the clarity of expressing what is already in the confession. So here they've done that with this addition to their former government uh, was speaking about marriage being limited to one woman. But notice they put the word biological woman and biological man. Why? Because of the whole transgender movement that's also happening that LGBT part of that uh, acrostic. So um, it, it, it's interesting to see uh, that they're the, – definitive explanation has to be made pointed pointedly uh, for this to take place. So, but anyway, the, the, uh, Bible Christian church today, there are other things that, uh, Leonard, uh, reports here. So it's good to know what God is doing and other, uh,
1: denominations Absolutely. that are sister. Uh, I just want to point out we are at the 40 minute mark in today's, uh, Aquila report in weekly review. And Every single, I mean, we, we're now, we've now crossed the denominational line, and they're also talking about yeah. where the fire, where the battle is hottest. Right. Just that, that's just my observation.
0: And because of what I think has happened, uh, been happening in the PCA, at some see because it's the largest of the group of churches in Nate Park, the North American Reformed, Presbyterian Reformed, uh, council and and so forth so when as one guy says when the pca sneezes everyone else gets a cold so you need to um you know the, the, it's important that we realize the even though we may be different denominations there is a relationship a brother sister um relationship and that one what happens in one can have affect effect in others
1: yeah and the, the just the church as a whole you know yeah. the, the is is we're, we're being attacked, you know, when we're, we're dealing with the same issue across uh, anyone who is standing up for orthodoxy, standing up for, you know, not just what the Bible says about homosexuality. We talked about this last week, but what the Bible says about everything, um, you know, if, if you sacrifice what the Bible says on homosexuality, uh, what the Bible says about elders and qualifications, then, you know, you're, you're going to sacrifice more. You're going to sacrifice different things. And then what do you have?
0: Yeah. Well, and so what you just said is true, Will. Here's number six, uh, which is by Carl Truman. And first things, why bros, uh, B-R-O-S, failed at the box office. Uh, he starts out the, the new gay rom rom com, which is for romantic comedy. Uh, so that's short for that rom-com. Okay, so what the new gay rom-com bros has, uh, has bombed in the, off- uh, in the box office. Uh, director Nicholas Stoller and uh, star Billy Eichner uh, in full Nietzschean resentment mode are in little doubt about why the film flopped. And this was because homophobic weirdos refusing to go and see it. So the reason it was a flop is that people who don't want to be exposed to that kind of, uh, uh, you know, change in culture uh, or express it or whatever, uh, if they had gone, uh, shelled out their money, then it would have been a success. uh, Carl goes on to say, the indignation reveals much about our immediate cultural movement. It is typical of political discourse today. Each side ascribes its failure to find popular support in the general population's ignorance or depravity or both. And that conveniently precludes the need for any soul-searing searching while reinforcing a sense of moral and intellectual superiority. So uh, he basically goes on to give a review himself of other reasons that the movie itself failed. Um, It could have succeeded if um, much in the culture would have gone to it, but you it just wasn't, it wasn't there. Um, And so at the very end, he was talking about how romance has been taken out because everything's so explicit, there's no longer any uh, nuance as left out. Uh, He ends up by saying, to return to Bros, uh, it is frankly as ridiculous to make rom-com, that is romantic comedy, in the 21st century As it is to hire a cast and crew on the basis of modern categories of identity rather than professional competence. And while the bros team might regard its box office failure as discouraging, it might just easily be evidence of the triumph of the LGBTQ movement in wider society as it is a residual resistance to the same. Please don't blame homophobia for your commercial failure. Romance is dead and you helped to kill it. So that's his takeaway from uh, this movie, uh, well,
1: the prose. And the, melt, and the meltdown has been pretty prolific um, uh, from from the director here. And, again, I'll go back to my previous point, what I said when I was speculating about the uh, congregation uh, in their political uh, persuasions over in, uh, in St. Louis. Um, this is an example of the LGBT, a rare example of the LGBTQ, uh, you know, crowd or um, sometimes I – call them the goose stepping gay lobby, uh, because of their totalitarian, they don't lose very often in public. And here's an example of the American people, um, just not wanting to go see, you know, a a story about a, a love story, a supposed love story about two, two gay guys. Uh, and this is very, the fact that this is still not palatable is tough on them. It's tough on their psyche because I mean, I was watching, I was watching football this weekend with my daughter uh, and she still uh, she she for some reason enjoys watching football with me, and I'm okay with that. Uh, you know I'm okay with that family activity. But one of the commercials that came on, uh, you know had two two guys, you know, cheersing with a cup of wine, and I, uh, you know, it's and you know you've got, I've got a distractor, and and I'm just thinking, you know, but from their standpoint, from the gay standpoint, from the LGBT standpoint, they. You know, this is all out there now. You know, they all they have their quotas. They've got to have the representation of different races and, and sexual identities and everything and casting in Hollywood movies. And so they they I guess they just assume that all of us back home that are forced to watch all of this uh, trans, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, intersectional politics, intersexual feminism, all of that stuff. We've been force fed it for the last 10 years in our movies and now it's in our commercials like every all the time. And I guess they assume that we all agree with it, but we don't. We sit silently back and we shake our heads or we turn the channel or and and we're not going to go see the movie. I mean, so all of their for all of their programming, all of their attempted brainwashing, it hasn't worked. Everybody's just noticing the agenda. And when they get the opportunity, they choose to reject it. So,
0: yep, I, I agree. And uh, so we see that when the, you know, the cup is full, it's brimming over and people are now have sort of taken their position, and i think that's that, that they're not going to go any further and i think there the resistance is coming because not only do you just saying well we want you just to accept us and you know treat us as equal and but now they want it to not only accept that you have to believe it and you have to confirm it you have to um uh change your whole lifestyle in order to confirm everything that we are yeah so i and- think that's the problem
1: and it. you know, if you want to see what their, what their goal is next, they're going to get sicker and sicker story broke over the weekend. Uh, and I'm going to, in case we have children listening in the car or anything, I want to be careful, but the story broke over the weekend about a, a trans, uh, a trans performer on some public channel four over in great Britain, uh, and, and stripped, com- just spontaneously stripped completely nude and then did something even looter, uh, with a keyboard. Um, And it's just it's celebrated now. And so, you know, hopefully, like you said, the momentum is swinging and the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. And I would even say that as the as as the pendulum swings back and people more and more people start rejecting this allegations of Christian nationalism will increase. Just my two cents.
0: Okay, good. All right. Well, the next um, one is uh, number seven, A Whole New World. And this is by uh, Bethel McGrew. McGrew, yeah, Uh, and it's giving a background of the Evangelical Magazine uh, World World Magazine uh, that had gone through some kind of uh, uh, upheaval within it in itself. Uh, Marvin Olasky was the editor for a long time, and uh, so this is a report as to what happened within the old world that now is not that uh, is created the new world is the way she sort of plays off on the old world, new world kind of thing. Uh, So the picture is in that she summarized says nevertheless, in a new retrospective essay, Olasky maintains that the past year has borne out his concerns. He laments the shift in the priorities between the old world and the new culture war world where the old world covers scandal, Around a figure like uh, Madison Cawthorn, um, he was a young man in a wheelchair who ran for U.S. Congress and won, uh, New World hasn't touched his latest shenanigans. Uh, where Old World towed an establishment line in on the pandemic, New World has run stories that Olaski frames as playing to the evangelical's anti-vaccine prejudice. And stylistically, where the old world prided itself on understated prose, the New World columns toss hand grenades at the left. Old World was conservative on some issues, but also covered topics such as homelessness and poverty, which Olasky implies would be intrinsically out of place in the conservative world. And every time he uses world, referring to the magazine. Uh, given that Alaska himself writes compellingly on homelessness for the Discovery Institute, the conservative think tank, uh, where anti-CRT activist Christopher Rufo first got his uh, starting uh, start documenting the gamut of homelessness and poverty, it is not clear why he thinks this. So that sort of that paragraph summarizes uh, from Alaska himself what he sees as the difference in the shift and why he resigned as editor of the old world and uh, take on other tasks. So this again is interesting because probably many of the listeners uh, here on the Quidditch Record podcast um, are probably subscribers to the world and uh, to world magazine. And maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't, but uh, this article just sort of covers uh, that, um, Interaction uh, difficulty upheaval within uh, that magazine, which I think is having a you know great effect in culture under its old older style or its newer style. So it's up you know this is uh, in the eye of the beholder. So we commit you know it's obviously hit being in the top ten. It hit an interest on the part of readers because world does play uh, a significant part of the evangelical mindset in terms of where it gets its news.
1: Yeah, you know, this was news to me. So uh, definitely uh, understand why it was, uh, you know, piqued the interest of Aquila Report readers. It's good information.
0: Yes, right. Good information. Okay, number eight. What is the, quote, great barrier to church girls," girls, quote, and why has it fallen? So what is the uh, barrier that I uh, think this is uh, new to me, Paul, I have to confess, I'd never uh, considered this part of it. He says, um, and this is by uh, Bob Weitzel, uh, he says for almost 40 years, researchers have found that the distance people will try to a church is a main factor in their attendance and long term commitment um, Re, uh, recent research from the Baylor University Religion Survey confirmed this. Baylor found that a majority, that is 68% of church attendees, drive under 15 minutes to a church. While this uh, pertains to the majority of attendees, some may drive longer in rural areas and shorter in congested areas. So uh, that's that was what was new. I wasn't aware that that number was necessarily true. And when I think of places that I've served as pastor, I think Most of my people probably drove more than 15 minutes um, from it because, of course, I I was mostly in, I wasn't in a congested urban area, but we were in an area that was quite spread out. So anyway, research continues to support that this four-decade thesis, so it's not something brand new, holds true. The majority of your attendees will always be coming from within 15-minute drive. So the question then, what happened is, is the... Uh, what does that have to do with anything? Well, he says, um, as I was studying church plants as the minister of evangelism and church growth for um, at mega Church, I found the majority of people who stopped attending our church did so because they found a church closer to where they lived. I remember interviewing one person who said, we liked the preaching and the worship was outstanding, but we travel almost 40 minutes each way and that's time we could spend as a family. And as we got more involved, we traveled back and forth even more often. Now there's a church just 10 minutes from our house. Uh, it isn't as good, but it's good enough. So that's the rationale that goes on. So he just plays on that and expresses it some more. He's, uh, so one point that he makes is um, three principles as people are moving out of the neighborhood and into areas further than 50, a 15 minute drive away, there are new cultures springing up around most churches. So and then he explains what he means by that. Then number two, he basically says solutions that increase accessibility historically have included now the radio, television, and now the Internet, which seems to go against the theme that he has here because uh, the intent is the gathering of the people, not through media, but the gathering together as uh, individuals within life of a church but uh, the first part here which i thought was interesting is and i'm going to sort of test this now out uh having r- sort of been uh, challenged by what he said here and to see whether or not that 15 minute rule is um there so what about paul uh, you live 15 minutes away from the place your church meets
1: yeah just about um 15 minutes um depends on if i hit the red lights uh, or the green zone as i call if i hit the green zone i can be there in 10 uh this was interesting this is very interesting um just kind of analyzing what happens I, this part stood out to me that the reason people aren't willing to drive more than 15 minutes um is because of secular workload now that we have most people who have two income earners you have the 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 father going to work and the mother going to work. When they finally get to be together, they want to spend time together as a family and they don't necessarily want to spend that time in a car is what this says. While this cultural trend seems to be decreasing a bit due to the rise of working from home, the preference for people to spend less time traveling in a car and more time with others seems to be holding steady. You know, I, I can identify with this just over the last, uh, you know, decade or so. Um, the, and COVID changed this a lot, but the, the hustle and the bustle, and always having to do all of these other activities, all of these other activities, and you miss that that one-on-one time with your spouse, or you get so you get so you get less of it, and uh, it, it is tempting to to say no to this ministry or that ministry, um, because we are not together as much as a family during the week as we used to be. And that—that uh, that is a—that that I hadn't really thought of it. I'm just reading it here, and it's an interesting hypothesis, but I think it's true.
0: Well, you know, it's not only the worship. So, if you only think about it, uh, if you go into church once a week, uh, you could almost make a case that well, if it's 15, 20, 30 minutes, it's not going to be a difference, and you still get to see your family. But I think it's the it, where activities are church-centered, and you're having to go back and forth, then it becomes a, a real problem. I think. And I, I can remember one time living in w- one city After in the pasture that I was in, we uh, were looking for a house. We rented for a while just to get uh, used to the area and get uh, a fix on, you know, sense of the neighborhoods and so forth. And when we thought after a few years that, okay, it's time to purchase the house, that I, I did draw, uh, you know, subconsciously anyway, uh, sort of a, took a compass and drew a line a uh, circle in the map and said i want to be within this range which i think most of it within that range was about 15 minutes and we found a house we really really liked mm-hmm. uh but it was outside plus there was, there's in that particular area quite a bit a, a major artery and um as a pastor of course i would be going back and forth quite a bit to the church so i um We loved it. We the price was within our range. It was beautiful setting. It had just been updated, so everything about it was positive. But it it was too far from the church, and and they also had to deal with traffic, and so the frequency issue did become an issue for me. Uh, But that was dealing with it, you know, as an employee, uh, you know, working at the church, having to go back and forth. But I could see it on the same thing, on the same level for membership. This is the first time I had really put it on that context. So anyway, it'll stir some good discussion uh, as terms of what, what we have. And by the way, it does away with the uh, or helps understand the reason that if you plant churches too close that you can do them uh, within 15 minutes of each other and they would um, y- you would have two good growing congregations, assuming the ministries are going well. Okay, number nine is from uh, Helen Louise Herndon uh, and it's titled Lay Elders, an important book for you as defenders of truth. And so she's definitely uh, pointing Helen Louise as to the importance of uh, becoming aware of and it takes us right back to the first articles that we were looking at. And the book she's talking about uh, is Dangerous Affirmation, the Threat of Gay Christianity, which we've highlighted here for ran a review of by M.D. Perkins, who works for the American uh, Family Association, AFA. And uh, a very, as I said back then, I say it again, a very careful researcher, scholar, uh, gets his facts straight. He writes very carefully uh, so that he doesn't misquote or mischaracterize uh, anyone. And so this book, Dangerous Affirmation, the Threat of Gay Christianity, is the book that um, Helen uh, Louise points to and says uh, you really need to lay elders be aware of this issue. Now, if after four years since Revoice, since we talked about that date uh, going back from July 2018, a uh, leader is an elder or deacon, and the church is not aware of this as an issue in our culture that is um, bumping up against the life of the church. Uh, then the person will have to be sort of blind and deaf. Uh, but nonetheless, she points it out from the point of view how this book presents the issue, the threat of gay Christianity, uh, and it uh, is, you know, very. Um, just very helpful. So anyway, we uh, just commend this article because Helen Louise has a real desire to uh, minister in the life of the church. She gives some uh, revealing facts of coming from the book. It's a fact-filled book uh, because of the research type of research that MD Perkins does. And uh, so appreciate her doing this. So again, it just indicates that right now, the heat of the battle is in the area of uh, biblical sexual ethics, what it means, how it fits into the life of the church, what does it do with uh, members, what does it do for qualifications for office, um, and how does it impact us individually, family-wise, church-wise, and so forth. So a very helpful admonition exhortation
1: uh, that... uh, And and she's got several uh, points here that are really well thought out. Um, Gay celibate theology wants to essentialize homosexual temptation to the point it is left untouched by the work of the Holy Spirit. Love and truth are redefined. The majesty of God is minimized and the holiness of God is outright blasphemed. And then this this last one, as Christians, our primary concern should be the character of God and questioning the integrity of his word is the first step toward impugning the character of God. Really Excellent. well
0: said. Yeah. Well, as I've said, Helen Louise is uh, was a longtime missionary. She's in her 80s now and still has a tremendous ministry through her writing. And so um, she's become a favorite of mine and a close friend um, through the Internet and all the work uh, that she does. So uh, when you see Helen Louise Herndon's name on any article, you can trust that it's going to Uh, stir your heart in some fashion, in some way. All right, number 10, uh, by uh, Joe Gibbons, who is a member, he's not an officer, but a member at uh, First Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and it's titled Baptism, Rightly Administered. And uh, he grew up uh, Southern Baptist and uh, was baptized, he says in his narrative here, when he was 11, he says that was an important Uh, part of his life. He still reflects on it, but as he has grown in his faith and uh, dealing with uh, the biblical implications of baptism and its methods and so forth, um, he's come to appreciate other dimensions of what it means to be baptized and the right application of it. So rightly administered uh, is what he's talking about. He says he becomes clear that the Westminster divines were correct when they continued their chapter on baptism by stating in paragraph three, quote, dipping of the person into the water is not necessary. This statement has always uh, was of such a refute to the Baptist position requiring immersion for baptism be considered valid uh, as it was pointed, uh, pointed reject a pointed rejection of the flawed symbolism behind immersion. Uh, Because of this, while immersion baptism may be considered valid if performed in the Trinitarian formula, they are irregular and are not to be considered normative. The Westminster Confession does not go so far as to say that baptism by immersion is invalid, but it does articulate a principle on how the sign should be given. For the Reformed, we seek the right administration of baptism that affords the right visible signs. Uh, One where uh, not just the outward elements of water and the words of institution are valid, but where the mode is appropriate as well. So it's a very helpful article. Joe has written other articles and we've run the Ecole Report, writes very clearly and appreciate the way he handled this. Because this would be a a sensitive topic and being that he's in Mississippi, which uh, has a large uh, Southern Baptist population you. I uh, hope the people will not reject him on the streets as he walks down the road.
1: Well, yeah, but you got you to gotta wonder. Maybe there's some Southern Baptists who uh, are thinking about, uh, you know, crossing denominations, joining another denomination. This article could go a long way to help them do that, you know, yeah. maybe push he them is. over the fence.
0: Right. Very pastoral and caring. Uh, it doesn't present it as this is the absolute one and uh, nor does he allow the other one to say it as well. Okay, well, that uh, uh, Paul, we've come to the end of our top 10 articles in the Accor Report. Uh, the Accor Report Weekly Review has been reviewed, and uh, we trust that it's been helpful to you, as we like to say. Uh, this gives you an update, uh, heads up on what is coming. So, when you get your newsletter on the 25th of October, you'll be able to read through them yourself, and uh, we urge you to uh, share them with others, forward the whole list. Of, just hit forward and uh, send it to friends and uh, family and so forth uh, so they can be encouraged as well, encourage them to also sign up for uh, the receive their own newsletter. And if you're listening to this podcast afterwards, you know, just read after you've read the articles, you can interact with what Paul and I have been saying. Hopefully we will have uh, challenged you in that regard. So it's a joy to always come before you in this podcast and trust that the Lord will continue to watch over all of us and it will especially bless you during this week.